0: Welcome back to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Viennes, and uh, we're going to be talking Seahawks Saints today, but we're also going to kind of open it up and uh, make it a, a more wide-ranging, sort of big-picture show. As you can see, those of you who are uh, watching the live streaming video version, my old friend Bill Alvstad of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast is joining me. Uh, it's been a minute since we've caught up, Bill, and talked some Seahawks football. Um, first of all, how are you? How are things? Hey, Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me on. I
1: appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk Seahawks football with you always. It's always a pleasure. Um, Things have been going good. Things have been good. Uh, A few surprises with the Seahawks this year. We can talk about all of that. A couple of disappointments worked in there as well. Uh, We kind of expected that. Maybe not exactly where we thought they would would come from. Uh, But overall, um, I'm happy with the season so far, considering the expectations going in.
0: Well, I'll I'll say this: you and I, especially when Keith joins us, we have a history of um, of uh, uh, ep- podcast episodes that are not. Uh not concise, not short. Uh, we, we can get into things. <laughs> that is true. We've literally, for those of you who have never heard us do a show together, we've literally done a three hour show before. Um, now, obviously that was special circumstances, but today we have a three hour time limit because I got a baseball game to watch. Uh, yeah. Go Mariners. <laughs> rocking the Mariners gear today. Yeah. I don't know if yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. those of you watching the stream, if you can tell what the background is, that's uh, the big dumper, uh, Cal Raleigh hitting the walk-off home run to uh, send him to the playoffs. Uh, Raleigh hitting cleanup today, by the way. Uh, for the Mariners as they take on the Toronto Blue Jays in Game One of the AL Wild Card Series,
1: uh, I was lucky enough this spring training Dan uh, mm. to watch Julio Rodriguez hit that uh, inside the park home run. Oh, yeah, I yeah. think his first home run as a as a Mariner in spring training, yeah. and I was at that at that game and, and uh, I was so excited for the kid at the time, and I thought, man, this kid's going to be special. You know, he, he was, it was like his third game or something like that, and you could already tell that he, and and at the at that moment it hadn't yet been decided if he was going to start or if he was going to play a key role in the game. That looks so long ago now. Yeah. Um, that it, it. now it's just funny to think about that player at that moment wondering if he was going to be a part of, the nucleus of the team, you know, this year, if he was ready, man, he would blew everybody's socks off. That was crazy.
0: Well, look, it brings something to mind for me. Um, I know that, you know, people listening now, you know, they might be thinking, Hey, I, this, this is a Seahawks podcast, get to football, but <laughs> hey, there's probably a lot of crossover. You know, a lot of Seahawks fans are, are most likely Mariner fans and, and we're going, I'm going to try to tie this back in later. Cause we're going to talk a little bit later in the show, just kind of about the uh, whatever you want to call it, the rebuild or the reset as a whole And there's some parallels because Mariners are at the tail end of that process now. And it worked for them. It doesn't always work. And so we're in the first phase of this, you know, the Seahawks rebuild. And some things are working and some things aren't. And I want to start with that. We're at the, again, we're not 16. It's not symmetrical anymore. That's the thing I hate about the 17-game seasons. Uh, You know, after four games used to be the quarter poll. And you take a look back at the first quarter of the season. Um, We're not quite there yet. But the team's two and two. Like you said, some good surprises, some bad surprises. I want to ask you just generally, what's the best thing you've seen so far? And what's the worst thing you've seen so far?
1: I think there's a couple of things that I've seen so far that that have qualified as being the best. I mean, Geno Smith, come on now. I want to hand it to him first and foremost, because we were all kind of hard on him. Uh, I think there wasn't too many pundits out there, guys that do what we do, talking about the Seahawks all the time, thought that Geno Smith was going to come in and do what he's doing right now. There's always that opportunity, but, man, talk about a real good story. Uh, Probably the best story in the NFL right now as far as a comeback guy, uh, getting his opportunity for the first time in a long time and surpassing expectations on almost every level. Um, And you got to hand it to both him and Pete Carroll. Really, let's give Pete Carroll some due. I know that you know there's a mixed bag out there on Pete, but let's let's break this down a little bit. Guy shows up for Geno Smith right out of the gate, says he's going to give him the best chance to be successful, and Geno's got to go take the take the job, but it's his job to lose. And then Pete made the decision to go with Geno Smith as the Mm -hmm. quarterback. They made that decision early, along with John Schneider, not to draft a quarterback, not to bring in another a high level uh veteran mm-hmm. to compete for that job and and Gino has kind of proven Pete right and um, so far now you've got to take a look at the competition level I agree with yeah. that you got to take a look at the Lions uh, obviously the Broncos defense was good the 49ers defense is great um but but really if you take a look at it Gino's played a good say, uh half half the the games so far uh as far as halves you kind of divide these things into halves some first halves in these games have been great second halves not so much etc i p- put a pl- complete game against the lions together which was outstanding to yeah. see so gino you know it is is definitely one of those things that has been one of the best and then the rookies, Keith. Or not Keith. I keep wanting to call you Keith because I'm I so used to recording with him. Dan, the the rookies. We could play a drinking um, game every time <laughs> you come. You got to take a look at Abe Lucas and Charles Cross at mm-hmm. the tackle position for the offensive line for the Seahawks. I mean, you knew that Charles Cross was going to take that job going in, but Abe Lucas, now we talked about Abe Lucas, and I think you were on that train too, as being kind of an early guy that you were looking at prior to the draft, that he could have a chance and he would be a good fit for the Seahawks. And sure enough, came to the team and has really exceeded expectations there. And so the duo being there for possibly the next decade, anchoring that offensive line is just a huge deal for this team. And then on the other side, Tariq Woolen, Mm, same sort of deal as Abe Lucas, came in not maybe quite ready Uh, a project, if you will, had all the physical attributes that you could ask for out of that position and then some, and then goes out and shows that he's ready immediately. Again, Pete made the decision to insert him into the starting lineup early in the preseason and he hasn't relinquished it. And now he looks like a perennial uh, pro bowler in the waiting uh, for this team. And that's just super exciting.
0: It's the thing I love about Wolin is, is, um, it's not just that he's holding his own. I mean, I think we all just assume coming out of a small college, only having played corner for the last two years after playing wide receiver uh, previous to that, that it's not just that he looks overmatched or out of place. He makes plays. He makes impact plays. In every game, he does something to impact the game. He has the only two interceptions on the season, the only two interceptions by a Seahawk corner in a long time. He blocked the field goal like the guys have a knack for that and we're seeing some of that on Kobe Bryant maybe as well but the fact that he that he's never out of position um well there was a, you know a play here or there there was a play that that uh he kind of got ahead of the receiver down the sideline he was a little premature in in turning to run with the receiver last week and and the receiver undercut the throw uh, from Goff, and it was a big game, but it wasn't, he's never uh, blowing coverages. He's never in the wrong place. He's he's not letting guys run by him. He's had a couple penalties, but they're only because he's aggressively playing man-to-man defense and he's, he's in a good space. He looks like after all these years of the Seahawks trying to find young corners and failing, the Trey Flowers experiment, even Shaq Griffin, good player, but even he, I think one of the things that frustrated us as Seahawks fans was Shaq Griffin was a, talented player physically, and always seemed to be in position, but didn't make the play. Didn't get his hands on the ball. Didn't have good ball skills. Didn't, you know, get a lot of turnovers. So to see a guy four games into his career look like an ascending player and a guy that could lock that position down for a long time, that's a bonus. Now, however, (laughs) there's good and there's bad, right? For for every win, there's a loss, it seems like. And uh, to me, the worst thing I've seen so far Um, other than our linebacker play as a whole, and we can get into that if we want to, but, uh, it's Daryl Taylor. You know, I, I, I think the last time we talked, we did kind of a season preview and I, I think I predicted he was going to get 14 or 15 sacks. Uh, I, I, I told you that on the record, on the air, um, he just looks out of place. He looks physically overmatched. Um, I don't know what happened to the player that we saw last year. I don't know if it's just that he's not a fit with the new scheme or something there is, or if um, maybe his game was limited and, and teams have figured out how to how to block him. I don't know, but he's been a huge disappointment, and we're not the only ones that he's disappointed because now he's giving up snaps to another rookie, Boye Mafe. Uh, it was Daryl Johnson before that, and, and Daryl Taylor may be, maybe playing less and less. Daryl Taylor. You did predict that. Yeah. And so did everyone else. Everyone
1: was kind of on the Daryl Taylor train. He was ready to step up into an accelerated role this year. He was going to go from being on that line on a 4 uh, 3 defense as, as a Leo player full time to being more of a, a well rounded linebacker, if you will. He was going to drop back into coverage, he was going to set the edge. He was going to rush the passer. So far, we've not seen any of those things this year. Yeah, uh, They've used uh, his aggression, uh, offenses against him, um, to get him out of position. And he's not recovered well. Mm-hmm. And his sideline-to-sideline side abilities seems to be inhibited this year. And he's not uh, looking very good in coverage. And, yeah, he's probably the biggest disappointment, uh, disappointment on defense if you don't count Cody Barton. Um, Cody Barton is a is a player that was going to now assume a larger role. I mm-hmm. thought if there's one thing, if you could take a look at John Schneider and Pete Carroll this offseason in a position that they didn't adequately address and sometimes every year there's one of those. Yep. This is the position this year. Uh, they didn't really address this um, middle linebacker position at least for depth as well as I thought that they could and now we're we're kind of paying for that a little bit. Cody Barton uh, is not ready for prime time. Daryl Brooks or um, Brooks is out of position, you know, quite frequently yeah. as well. And and they're making a ton of tackles, but those are coming, you know, five six yards past the line of yep. scrimmage, which also points to line of scrimmage problems yeah. up front. You got Quentin Jefferson up there. They're asking maybe a little too much of Quentin Jefferson to kind of play uh, defend the run, and he's not equipped to do that. He's yeah. he's a forward player he wants to play forward and disrupt the passer and the pocket and he's good at that but when they ask him to do more than that he just doesn't hold up physically and so you're seeing some breakdowns there up front and then uh, Daryl Taylor and Cody Barton and Brooks are the ones that are kind of suffering through that and maybe we could talk a little bit about the lack of Jamal Adams in there and then having a you know for sure um, uh, Josh, Josh Jones oh, yeah yeah uh, not adequately fill that and it's it's just created uh a middle of the defense problem i think um more than anything
0: yeah and that's it's really you touched on a lot of the reasons i was fairly bullish on on this defense going into the season i thought they were going to be young and fast and i thought there were a couple of things we could count on i thought we could count on jordan brooks being a really solid player in the middle of that uh middle of that defense he hasn't been that 51 yard jamal williams touchdown run sunday it was all on him he was just blocked one-on-one and couldn't get off his block to 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 get into the gap and 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 hit that run fit it wasn't he wasn't double teamed he wasn't he just couldn't get off the block and we're seeing that a lot um and we're seeing poor tackling out of out of him and cody barton and that's been josh jones's issue he Mm looks so good in the preseason but he just can't wrap up and he can't tackle bounces off guys and and um Ryan Neal, you know, maybe taking some of those snaps, but, but up front too, you know, no one's talking about Puna Ford and he was a guy that we all loved uh, coming into this season and we were happy that they signed him to the extension and, and he seemed like an ascending player, but I just wonder, I wonder as a whole, we're, we're touching on a lot of things here that all seem to come back to the same idea that they've shifted this scheme to more of a traditional three-four defense, even though Carroll has always played three-four tendencies, and so whereas Puna Ford was always that three technique before that nose guard, now he's playing three-four defensive end, and mm-hmm. his his body type is mm-hmm. now he's not even six feet tall. It doesn't really fit the traditional mold in that offense or in that defense. And you touched on it too that that could be a big contributor to Daryl Taylor's problems as well. That maybe they made that switch without ensuring that they had guys that that fit that scheme um and but you're right they didn't also protect themselves i mean if if there's nowhere else to go josh jones isn't playing well ryan neal's healthy now that's somewhere they can turn daryl taylor's not playing well they drafted Boye maffe in the second round he looks like he's ready for more uh primetime play uh you can turn to him there are some things they can do on the defensive line even they've got some guys coming back in the near future, LJ Collier might be a guy that could help in this scheme this year. He was just designated to return. But if Cody Barton doesn't play well, there's no, Nick Bellore is your backup. There's nowhere to turn. I don't know why they weren't more aggressive. I know they tried four linebackers out this week. um, But I don't know why they were not more aggressive in going after a guy like Blake Martinez, who was just signed by the Raiders to be on their practice squad. Big-time player for the Packers. Uh, four years straight with over 120 tackles. Um, still just 27 years old. Coming off an ACL, but it was early last year. Should be fully healthy. I don't know why they weren't aggressively looking for a guy like that. Because that's a that's a huge weakness, and there's nowhere to turn. I don't know how you fix that.
1: Uh, and I think you kind of alluded to it as far as the scheme and the personnel uh, matching those things up. That's why I'm... And you, and you mentioned also uh, the idea that we just don't have any quick fixes uh, yeah. available in those key spots, and that's why I don't know how much improvement we're going to see this year if we stick to the idea of, of a 3-4 of most of the time. Now, they, they mentioned playing in multiple 4-3, uh, 3-4 four, three, three, four looks, but do we have the players available to us to be able to plug and play uh, with that. And I'm not sure that we do. You mentioned LJ Collier coming back. That might be an option for them. At least do one thing well on defense. Set the edge and stop the run. You've got to be able to do that. That's one of the core pillars of Pete Carroll's defense. Uh, you want to be able to stop the run. That, that allows the defense to kind of key in on some things uh, that they do well. And right now they're not doing anything So, um, I, that's why I think that this is more long-term than, than, than we thought because going into the season, we pointed to the idea that this defense has a chance to be top 15, maybe top 10, especially if the offense started to figure it out, kept the defense off the field. Statistically, this defense could look pretty good. Now this whole thing's completely flipped. (laughs) The offense looks great. Yeah who predicted that it look like and be- the defense is struggling. Now they struggled the first two years uh, early on in, in both seasons, but yeah. this is kind of inherently a, a little different than that. Same sort of issues, but different personnel, different defensive scheme, different coaches, same result. So can they fix it this year a little bit? Yeah, they probably can fix it a little bit here and there. Uh, dial it in a little bit, change the scheme up uh, somewhat to fit the personnel as things go forward. Um, and, and, possibly get you know top 20 20 21 22 overall defense instead of a 31 32 defense that would help if the offense continues to play they've got an outside shot to get to seven or eight wins if that defense continues to lag like it is yeah and the offense struggles against better defenses which to me seems likely um then I still think we're in the five to six win category. Even though we've got two wins now, that would only mean three or four wins left in the entire season. Yeah. I know that seems kind of hard to to talk about and predict, but you take a look at the schedule and it is possible if the defense doesn't improve.
0: Yeah. They look like a big 12 team uh, on Sunday. <laughs> like who would have thought Just going into this season yards. I yeah. mean, it's fun to
1: watch if you're
0: a fan and you don't care about defense, but and if you care about defense, it's so painful. Yeah, it's brutal. And, and the game started off well Sunday. I think that two of the first three Lions drives ended in a punt. Um, and, and it looked like, gosh, maybe they can kind of keep this under control a little bit. And they were, they were, you know, baby steps. They were a little bit better against the run. If you take away the 51 yard um, run, but they, but, but then they couldn't, even with all the injuries the Lions had, they couldn't keep TJ Hawkinson in check. So, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And, and I know there's a lot of criticism out there of Pete Carroll right now because he's a defensive coach and that's what he's known for. And why is it that these last three or four seasons, the defense has always started off so poorly and then it takes until the second half to figure it out. I don't know. I, I'm not smart enough to know those answers. I'm not a big X and O guy. Um, I just know that I, to me, it's a talent issue. And it doesn't matter what scheme you're running. You've got to have guys up front that can affect the game and be difficult to game plan for and difficult to block. We don't have those guys. And your linebackers have to be able to make impact plays and impact the line of scrimmage and not just be cleaning stuff up. We don't have those guys. I think we all like the secondary right now, and I think we like it long term. Um, I think heading into this offseason, uh, I don't think that's a need really need to address. You know, they're even they haven't even got their full contingent of guys yet. Trey Brown hasn't even played yet. So uh, there's a lot of exciting things happening there. And there's some pieces in place up front. Certainly the Uchenna Nwosu signing was, was inspired and smart and shows that that front office can identify talent, even when it's not, um, you know, big name talent. And he was a guy not a lot of people were familiar with. So there's some pieces there, but, but let's go back to the offense because, this is this alone. This is a conversation that could be a two-hour conversation, and we'll try and keep it much shorter than that. But there's so much at work here, and and I guess in in a general sense, I want to ask you how sustainable you believe it is, because we've seen Geno Smith now as a starting quarterback for the Seahawks in seven games. Right? It's he started three last year. He came in in relief of Russ once. Right? So so we've seen him play seven and a half games essentially. And the only time he really looked ineffective was at San Francisco last year. We don't know how much of that was just hangover, right? That team just looked flat overall coming off the the win over the Broncos. Um, And then last year at home against New Orleans, the same defense we're going to face Sunday, very good defense. Um, They kind of throttled and kept the offense in check here at Lumen Field. It was kind of a sloppy game. Um, How legit do you feel what we're seeing from Geno Smith right now is?
1: You know, Geno Smith's a good quarterback as far as protecting the ball. Uh, He's a good check-down quarterback. He's a point guard quarterback, as Pete Carroll likes to say. Maybe he's shown a little bit extra beyond that this year, but you take a look at the competition, he's done that against the Falcons and the Lions, both bottom half of the league. You could argue bottom 10th uh, of the league as far as defensive um, teams are concerned. When you face better play, uh, the Broncos defense in the first game, now he had a great first half, but that second half was was really anemic. Yeah. When you looked at the 49er game, that was a slog and a struggle. A lot of three and outs, very inefficient game. Yeah, he, he still made good decisions, but there was a lot of dump offs. Um, His yards per attempt was way down. So that's, I think what we're going to see. We're going to see a team that if we can't run the ball effectively against defenses, we're going to be one dimensional. If we fall behind against teams uh, it's going to force Gino to throw the ball. And if you've got a good secondary, uh, he's going to, he's going to check down and dump the ball off. And we're going to face some third and long situations, which I don't think that we're quite as well equipped to convert against good defenses. And so to me, it's still a mixed bag. Yeah, um, That's why I'm tempered on the Detroit thing. It feels good. It looks good. It looked great. Statistically, Gino's having a great year. Um, but when you really break it down, you've got to, you've got to step back a little bit. I don't know if we're going to end up being a top 10 offense at year's end top 15. Yeah, I think we can be, Um, but with our defense so poor, we're going to lack the opportunities um, to be able to uh, have more opportunities to convert third downs, to have more opportunities to score. Yeah. And with limited opportunities, I think that we're going to have limited results. So, I I see us as being a 500 or less team, even though it feels like we could be more than that. Just the defense is so poor that that we're just not going to have those opportunities now. um, Well, when you look proven wrong, and
0: I'd love to be proven wrong when you look at what's happening in the division. Too. I mean, everyone's two and two and the Rams look really disappointing and people are starting to think that maybe the league has figured Sean McVay's offense out and Arizona kind of looks like what they are and, and that they're not a very good team overall, but Kyler's going to pull some games out here and there and, and the 49ers have a great defense, but you know, they can only go as far as Jimmy Garoppolo is capable of taking them. this. There's an opportunity. If they continue to play well and 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 pull some games out to stay in contention in this division mm-hmm. for a little while, and and Dan
1: uh, Gino's look fantastic. Yeah. Let's—I don't want to take anything away from Gino. Gino has surpassed my expectations. Yeah. He looks like a really competent quarterback. He does. He's even, in fact, made me question. Whether or not we need a franchise quarterback with our first oh, overall gonna, pick in don't the get draft too deep into next, that. We're gonna get into that in a little bit.
0: I want to I want to ask you about that. I planned on talking but about you know, it. You know what bit. I'm know. saying?
1: Though it's like he's yeah, making you question I, I know it. everything about Absolutely.
0: the future of the offense,
1: and so you but you've got to you've gotta realize that this came against Detroit, this came against yeah. the Falcons, yeah. And let's see, I'm giving I'm open-minded. Yeah. I want to see Geno do this against the Saints this I week want him on to the road. See yeah. See the 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 next game against the 49ers. Yeah. We've got a game on the road in Germany against the Buccaneers. They've yeah. got a great defense this year. Let's see him sustain this sort of thing uh against really good defenses, top 10 defenses. And then let's see that defense improve a little bit and this team might have a shot. I don't think they're quite playoff ready this year. Yeah. It, it to me. They could somehow sneak in if the defense all of a sudden plays really good. Tariq Woolen has seven interceptions, the defense continues to generate turnovers. Yeah. Th- this could be the way that they start winning games, uh, with, with the defensive performances. Uh, they they allow a ton of yards, but they don't allow a ton of points, and
0: that could be the formula. Well, I appreciate your voice of reason because I, um, I've had to reel myself back in a few times this week because it it is Detroit and they are the most likely the worst defense in the league right there with the Houston Texans by all metrics and by all statistical measures. Um, but it was, you know, there are some things I'll disagree with you on a couple of points. I think Gino is showing me and the reason that I've allowed myself to get a little excited about what he can do is he's showing me um, and not just against Detroit, but in in little flashes in the other games, too, that he that he is getting more aggressive and more comfortable pushing the ball downfield. DK Metcalf was going against one of the best young corners in the league on Sunday, in Jeff Okuda. And Geno Smith wasn't shy at all about throwing the ball DK's way, even when he wasn't wide open. And that's something the previous quarterback didn't always do. So I, I feel like we're seeing some of that. Um, his yards per attempt is much higher than a certain other quarterback that used to play for the Seahawks currently, and we'll get into that in a second. But but I'm with you, and, and, and thank you again for being the voice of reason. We need to see it this Sunday. I think this is big. Second game straight on the road, coming off a great performance, going up against a very, very good defense, a, a defense that's good at all levels, and it, going against one of the elite cornerbacks in the league in Marshawn Lattimore, it's going to be... Uh, It's going to be, but that's what the season is, right? We've talked about this every single week is a test and every single week is another little piece of evidence on where they're at and where they should go. And I, and, and you're right. And I want to, I want to emphasize this point because I'm on record as saying that I was disappointed coming out of training camp that they went with Gino, just because I thought drew Locke was the younger player. That's where we were at as an organization Let's give him a shot. I like his ceiling, his upside, and his arm talent. Um, and I thought Gino had a lackluster, kind of boring preseason. But as you mentioned, Carroll's been saying from day one, these are the things we see from this guy in the locker room, in the meeting rooms, on the practice field. Now he's doing it in games. If he continues week after week after week to playing this way, and you have those extra draft picks next year, two firsts, two seconds all their native picks after that and there's all those holes on defense it does start to shift your thinking doesn't it we know the Seahawks don't think like everyone else and if Geno Smith carries this forward and he finishes the season as a top seven or eight quarterback by all the metrics which right now he is and he's 31 years old about to turn 32 that's not old for an NFL quarterback he is. A lot of tread left on the tires after sitting and waiting his turn for eight years. If he's truly transformed his career, does it maybe create an opportunity for the Seahawks to be a little more patient and maybe take a developmental quarterback and stick more with Gino and fill those other spaces? Does it change your approach to the draft next year?
1: That's a very interesting question. A very interesting approach. Prudent approach, I think. <laughs> Not what the this, fans want. <laughs> it's true. So the Seahawks currently have the ninth and twelfth pick uh mm-hmm. in the first round. If you look at today's record and the forty first and forty third picks mm-hmm. in the two 2000- thousand
0: three of the top 43 and isn't the ninth a, pick isn't that Denver's pick? Um yeah it's funny <laughs> how things work, isn't it? <laughs> he, <laughs> yeah, and so Listen. that's that's not going to get you CJ Stroud or Bryce Young right. or Will yeah. Levis. You're going to have to trade just... up if you want to do one of those. And we've just yeah. outlined hole after hole after hole after hole. I don't know that they're going to want a Morgan Safar to move up and get one of the guy, those guys in a deep quarterback draft. And so maybe yeah. maybe you look at uh a Herndon Hooker or a or a or a Van Richardson. Dyke or a Richardson if he comes out that some teams mm-hmm. might think is too raw to go high. Yeah. And it affords you the luxury yeah. Yeah. of you take that guy with the, with the high ceiling. Cause I'm a huge yeah. Anthony Richardson fan yeah. and he may not choose to come out this year, but if he does and, and he's, and he's raw and he needs to sit for a year or two and Gino plays this way or close to it the rest of the year, it does change the formula and yeah. it, it, it eliminates the need to mortgage so many of those draft assets you acquired that to move does. up to get one guy. And you still might be able to have your cake and eat it too, and get a franchise quarterback and also get a game wrecking defensive lineman and a guy off yeah. the edge and a couple <laughs> linebackers.
1: It's You, it's, you yeah. sent me a note earlier. So uh, we might talk about, you know, the, the, the biggest draft needs. And the first thing I wrote was game wrecking defensive tackle.
0: There you go. Jalen Carter. Uh, so yeah. here's, here's,
1: here's the deal. You're you've hit so many notes that are that are correct here. In the idea, that the perfect scenario that the Seahawks would love to have is Gino work. Yeah, this this thing works, right? Okay, so now they've got Gino. You did mention that he's 31. He's going to turn 32 in a couple of days. He's going to be 33 years old in next season.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're talking a two that's year, a future. three year deal, maybe that, a two that, year deal with an option. That's exactly right. Yeah,
1: and Gino continues to play this way. Yeah, He's not under contract next year, so he's going to have some suitors as well as the Seahawks would want him back. He's going to be more expensive. However, he would be the perfect quarterback to bridge a draft pick. 100%. you mentioned cj stroud you mentioned bryce young you i don't know if you mentioned uh will Levis, but oh, yeah. he's up there as well right I'm, i will always mention Will top five top right. six in this draft will anderson's on the other side everybody knows about that beast yep, yep. uh so he's in contention to be the number one overall pick you'd be in contention to be a seahawks draft pick if mm-hmm. this defense continues to uh struggle the way that they are so it does provide them some options. Now we went into this offseason season thinking, Oh my goodness, it's going to be drew lock or Gino Smith. Yeah. It's not going to turn out. Well, this thing's we're going to, we're going to have three wins. We have four wins. We're going to be a top five pick guaranteed. Uh, and, and a quarterback's just going to fall to us. Maybe that's not exactly the way it goes. Yeah. And the CX do have some options now. And so they do look at the draft and their entire roster. This isn't just myopically focused on the quarterback position. Now it's how do we improve the entire roster? What's the strategy to make this team really good and get an asset that we can build around and Gino starting one more year, not the worst case scenario. If he continues to play this way, also, you bring in that quarterback that's a second, third-round guy that you can build around that you feel really good about. He might not be ready this season, yeah. but he's your future. And he comes in, he does the same thing that Alex Smith did with the Kansas City uh, Chiefs, and Patrick Mahomes was sitting there. Yeah, Patrick Mahomes got some great experience sitting back, learning the, the offense, and they they made that transition when they were ready. Seahawks could do the same thing. I think that would be the best case scenario for the Seahawks this offseason. Then you take a look at those—the draft capital: ninth, mm. twelfth, forty-first, forty-third picks in the NFL draft. Somewhere in there, that's where they're going to be. That's a lot of draft capital. Plus, their native third-round pick—that's five picks in the top seventy-five. Yeah. A lot of those are really early you're going to get some impact players, mm-hmm. you know, and if they draft anywhere near where they drafted in 2022, you're going to get some guys that come in right away and start. You need an offensive center. You need a game-wrecking defensive tackle, maybe another edge player, obviously at, at uh linebacker mm-hmm. and at quarterback. So you've got some uh, positions of need, but they've also got that draft capital sitting there. In addition to having about $30, mil, uh, $30 million in, uh, free agency spending, they could probably create another fifteen or so uh, by looking at at some contracts yeah. and and, it, and making some adjustments there. They go out in free agency and and, and get a guy or two um, to to have an impact. And this really does have an opportunity to change the trajectory of your franchise and get you back um, playoff bound. And uh, with with the assets we've got now, with the tackles and Tariq Woolen. Yeah, boy, a mafé. Yeah, future's pretty bright, really. If you can get past this season,
0: I think you make a really good point. If you look at this as year one of a two or three year process, there are boxes that have been obviously and clearly and definitively checked so far. Like, and you touched on them. You're And you you couldn't have said that about four games into this season. And you you couldn't have said it. Yeah. You couldn't have said it last year, the year before, the year before that either. There were always, you had Russell Wilson and he was making a big chunk of the salary cap. You had a franchise quarterback. You had a couple other nice pieces, but then you had these gaping holes at every single position group on the roster. How do you fill them all? It's like the Dutch boy analogy, right? With 11 holes in the dike and 10 Mm -hmm. fingers. You can't do it. Now it's like, okay, offensive tackle is set. Receiver group, eh, you can always add to that, but set, tight end group, set, running back group, set, secondary, largely set, couple of uh, impact players uh, on the edge. Um, And so you can really focus on, you touched on it, front seven, interior offensive line and quarterback. Like You can narrow your focus to that, and that really allows you You can take a quarterback, even if even if Geno Smith continues to play well, you bring him back on a three year deal and you're 100 percent sure he's going to be your opening day starter next year You can still use one of those two first round picks on a quarterback. You just don't have to leverage three or four of those picks to move up to get a guy. And then you kind of end up in the same boat you were at where you have you have a quarterback you spent a bunch to get. And then you have all these other holes. How, how, how successful can that quarterback quarterbacks be turned out last year so far?
1: Yeah. Well, last That was the best quarter, quarterback class that we've seen in years, quote unquote.
0: And how many of those guys yeah, are 2020, really 2020? Yeah. It's it, it
1: happens every it year. It takes a little bit of
0: time. And and for people who say they don't trust cuz I'm sure you hear this a lot too. I see it all over the place. I don't trust these guys to find the next quarterback. Really? Let's look at what they've done. And I, and I know where that comes from. It comes from Charlie Whitehurst and Matt Flynn, right? But they identified, John Schneider identified Russell Wilson. He
1: identified Patrick Mahomes. Targeted and, him. And exactly.
0: Allen. exactly. Targeted him, got him. They were right. They, they were going to draft Patrick Mahomes if he had slid that year in the draft, even with Russell Wilson in his prime. They tried to trade to get Josh Allen with the first pick in the draft. So when Schneider gets his eye on somebody, he's pretty good. And I can see him falling in love with a guy that isn't projected to go in the top 10. And meanwhile, all those other teams, and there's going to be plenty of them this year, they're they're going to be crawling all over themselves to get up high enough in the draft to get one of those top three or four guys. So we might be in a position to, okay, maybe we'll trade down a little bit to one of those teams. Maybe we pick up another first rounder next year to even add leverage there. And we still can fill those needs and still get a quarterback. It's, It's a conversation we're going to have a lot Over the rest of the season, and certainly uh, this offseason. It's a nice conversation to start
1: having now because I think it becomes relevant now.
0: It shows you where Um, they're at. It just kind of shows you where they're at after four games. There's some things we know, things we didn't know four weeks ago.
1: I, I completely agree. What is that? Uh, you mentioned uh, Russell Wilson. I don't want to get too too much into this nah, kind of conversation <laughs> about Russell Wilson and Denver and, you know, whatever. Let's get into we're it. We're kind of tied to Denver though. Yeah, we are. I mean, we're, we're, we've got a, a kind of a vested interest in this thing, even no. though we don't want to. We've got their first round pick. We've got their second round pick. That's two high picks in this coming draft. Right. And we're kind of feeling weird about rooting for a team to fail. And rooting for a player we kind of loved and did a lot of great things for the Seahawks in, in this city. Um and and he's struggling. And so how mm. do you feel with that? Do you do you are you happy? I'm not necessarily happy.
0: Here's how I look at I, it. I, I look at it as uh you're in a relationship, right? and you, and and maybe the relationship isn't perfect but man there's some qualities about that person you really like and you don't want to let go and so you tr- you hang in you try to make it work but once it's over and you get some distance and they're in the rearview mirror you you kind of look back and you go yeah th- wow. there, there were a lot of things i didn't like and i'm better off without him look i uh, i'm i love everything about russell wilson did for this organization i have a closet full of his jerseys that i can now not wear until he retires from the league um and i'll always treasure that but he is a declining player who was not um, ideal uh, as a fit in this offense. And I want to get into that a little bit. And had gotten to a point where I think he was becoming a problem in the locker room because he was, thought he was bigger than the team and, and what was happening with the organization. And it, the, it was the right time to move on. Just like I told you I would tie this back in, just like I was 100% in favor of what the Mariners did in 2018, they did it the exact right and time. And by the they way, they had some assets. You were
1: spot on on your Mariners stuff the last three years.
0: I just have to say thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It, it, but there's an analogy to be made. It doesn't look, rebuilds don't always work. And ultimately, if they don't choose the right quarterback when the time is right, this one won't likely work the way we want it to. But the time to move on from Russell Wilson was absolutely spot on. And now we're seeing that every week. He hasn't just gotten off to a slow start. He's not the player he used to be. And that's what the Seahawks front office determined. This is a declining player who's going to want to continue to be paid at the top of the scale in the NFL. And he actually makes it more difficult for us to be effective on offense the way we want to. We're seeing that frustration in in Denver now. We're seeing the honeymoon phase is over. Fans... You don't have to look far on, on social media to to see Denver fans complaining about his decisions and where he's going with the football. Certainly there was the end of the game last night against Indianapolis. Um there's there's a lot of criticism and it's warranted. He's, he's not ever going to be again the player that he was. And so what they were able to acquire for him was a no-brainer. And 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 so I'm not I'm not hoping on him to fail. I'm not glad that he failed last night, that he made a horrible decision on that fourth down play and could have won the game for them. Uh, KJ Hamler was wide open, mm, um, yes he was. but he never looked his way. He, he decided pretty, we all, that we, should have been, we recognize that, should have been that. His early look, we recognize like he should that
1: I've been looking at that. Yeah. At
0: that he never that, looked that way. He didn't read the coverage. He had decided before the ball was snapped, that's he exactly was right. going to throw to Cortland Sutton no matter what. And we've seen that over and over. And you you look at now you trans you know you you juxtapose that with what's happening with Geno Smith is Geno Smith as talented as Russell Wilson no but we're seeing throws now that are part of the offense that are effective throws that make a defense have to defend the entire field that we haven't seen for the last eleven years because they weren't throws he was comfortable making or didn't like to make or didn't see and it's the how this offense is operating right now. For all the times we questioned, you know, maybe Shane Waldron's not the guy. Last year, mm-hmm. it's it's a beautiful thing to watch. This is the offense I've been wanting to see, and it's we have a guy that's capable of operating it efficiently. Um, I'd yes. like and, and if and if we can see it operate efficient, efficiently this week against a good defense, uh, I'll get even more excited. But it's it's a fun offense when everything's working.
1: Dan, you touched upon so many things. <laughs> it's, what it's, I, it's, it's what I do. Um, <laughs> it's, it's crazy um, to, to wrap your brain around everything you just talked about as far as the Russell Wilson saga that we've kind of seen play out. Yeah. At least let's just narrow it down to over the last couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the struggles – the, the victories the great plays the mm-hmm. frustrating things yeah. the things that you wanted to see but never saw um inside the offense the 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 hand picked Shane Waldron uh, offensive coordinator situation and then have that not really work last year yeah. and you just kind of knew you know, as somebody that watches football all the time, you just kind of knew that it was off, that it was not structured that way. And we were operating out of some sort of hybrid thing. It was, it was the Russell Wilson show and it was just, that's the way it was. Yeah. And you, you had to kind of take it that way because on balance, Russell gave you a little bit more than he didn't give you. And yeah. so you lived and died with his decision-making. And most of the times it worked out, especially when we had a solid defense. When we didn't have a solid defense, it it didn't work so well. And he got it hurt last year. You don't want to completely count that against him. But we ended up with seven wins. And it's it's frustrating uh, because now you're kind of seeing this play out in Denver. um, And you're also seeing this play out with the Seahawks. And you're seeing Shane Waldron's offense and and the way that he constructs things, the way that he sets up the field in layers, in levels, first level, second level, third level, and have everything work together out of two or three formations and have the defense struggle to kind of identify where things are going to come from. Mm -hmm. And then Gino operate within that to be able to take crossing routes, to be able to use the tight ends the way that they were designed to be used. To what the the opportunities to give DK Metcalf uh, throws in space where DK can use his athleticism. Yeah. The same thing with Tyler Lockett. So those are all exciting. And then the the run game kind of opens up. It's kind of a reverse thing. Run game kind of opens up because everything's open.
0: Well, so and, when, when and you're and spreading
1: I, the offense out like that, you you all of a sudden have these cutback
0: lanes that that weren't there yeah. prior. And so it's working really well. Aren't we also seeing? significant evidence that despite what many Seahawks fans think could ever be possible, that Pete Carroll has truly ceded autonomy of the offensive play calling to Shane Waldron. Because when you look and he spent this entire offseason just like he did the one before it and the one before that talking about how they want to run the football and everything's based off that Their run pass mix right now. Again, they look like a big 12 team. They're, they're throwing the football on early downs as much as any team in the league right now. They're in the top, 10 for sure I think it's higher than that they're throwing the ball more than they're running it they're doing what the game flow calls for and what the defense what what works against that defense and what they think is going to work that was never the Pete Carroll way there were times and we've all seen it where he would run to a fault run on first down run on second down power running inside and then try to convert third down it, it, it makes you wonder if there was a lack of trust there before um, and it's kind of ironic that he would there would be more trust now. But it's it's not what we expected from Pete Carroll. And to me, it does indicate that he is letting Shane Waldron absolutely run the show on offense, despite perceptions that some people have out there of how he likes to meddle in the offense.
1: Yeah. And you can say the same thing about the defense this year. Yeah. So uh he gave the autonomy to we'll Shane see if Waldron that remains last though. year. He made he made a gutsy he made two gutsy calls uh, with regards to the coaching staff in two consecutive years. He gave the offense a a new life last year. I think that was really forward thinking. Everyone thought that Pete Carroll was interfering too much. This was part of the process. Same old Pete, you know, holding back the the offense and so forth. Uh, He, he went away from that and he gave somebody the keys to the car there. Same thing on defense this year. He went away from his longtime partner in crime, in Ken Norton Jr. and he did go with Clint Hurt somebody that that knew the the defensive scheme and was well respected in the building and and by all players by all accounts. But he also brought in Sean Desai and Carl Scott in the secondary, two outside voices and and those three coaches combined were Vic Fangio guys and they knew that system like like bread and butter and new terminology New expectations, um, putting players in position to be successful, and Pete stepped back, and that's a big move yeah. for Pete Carroll to make. Now, you know, there's some Pete Carroll detractors out there. That's okay, but there's a, but but you need to give Pete uh, credit where he's due, and those decisions combined with this Geno Smith decision. Are Just solidify him in there as, as being just a really good coach, a forward-thinking coach, a coach that's not boxed in by his priors, that he is willing to change and willing to make changes that are a benefit of the entire organization and the, and the team. And, and so far, I'm impressed. Now, the defense, again, has lots of room to grow and improve, and I think that will happen given enough time. I'm hoping that they do have enough time to kind of put this thing into into motion over the course of the next year or two. Um, but man hats off, I think to, to those decisions, because I think those set the, the core and the, and then the, the Russell Wilson trade, uh, that sets the course for the next three or four years for this organization. And it needed to happen. You mentioned the timing on the Russell Wilson trade as being, Absolutely optimal. I completely agree. We got the highest value yeah. at the most optimal time on a quarterback that was giving you diminishing returns. But you you found an organization that still believed that he was at, at the premier top of his game. And And quite honestly, I hope that he is. I hope that he still has that. They find it. He generates next, that next year. He becomes the, the yeah. You know, r- right. He becomes <laughs> the quarterback that, that I think that, that that he still is. That that cliff, yeah. I there's something in between here. There's I don't think that the cliff is as 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 sharp as it uh seems right now, but they're sure struggling. Yeah. Um but I think it's a it's a home run of a
0: trade for the Seattle Seahawks. At least it looks like that right now. Well, I think you're also seeing something else at play here too that's a huge factor Sunday to Sunday in the NFL, and that's pressure. And sometimes um, lack of pressure can be freeing and, and pressure can can suffocate you. And, and right now the pressure on him and, and Denver and Nathaniel Hackett and the pressure to you win there and make that work is yesterday. palpable and it's thick and the fans are letting him know it. Whereas – there's no pressure here. And, and Gino can play free and easy and we can experiment with personnel and packages and scheme and and all of that. Because if we do go five and, and 12, it's nobody's losing their job. Everything is on track. So, um, you know, that's, that, that can be a factor. Let's talk about this week before we wrap this up, because this is, we've talked about how this is a key matchup. And, and I, the thing I like about this matchup is yes, we're going up against uh, one of the better defenses in the league in New Orleans. Outstanding front seven. They have Marshawn Lattimore and a good secondary. Um, They can get after the passer. They can defend the run. But their offense is pretty broken right now. And we don't know yet if we're going to see Jameis Winston or Andy Dalton. Um, Alvin Kamara was back at practice this week in a limited capacity. Uh, Michael Thomas, again, what else is new, is hurt. And they really lack some weapons there on the outside. They're not the dynamic offense that we come came to know under Sean Payton uh, during the days when Drew Brees was there, um, and so it does present, I think, an opportunity for the Seahawks to to maybe get some things right on defense. Um, and if and and if they can be effective, get a win because to me, and we may say this every week this this year, this may be the most pivotal week on the schedule. If, if they win this game, if they can find a way to win this game, go to three and two. I don't hate our chances coming home next week against Arizona. You get to four and two. You see what I'm saying? Like this yeah. this week might be, and then there's some games after that, that are that look pretty favorable too. This week could be kind of a turning point uh, or a tipping point might be more accurate to say as far as what our draft position ends up being and kind of where we head in the division and things like that.
1: It's funny you said that because I, I think I said the same thing on our show uh, the last couple of weeks. You know, this Falcons game, Falcons at Seahawks. Yeah. If they lose we're it, say it to anyway. the Falcons, what does that say about the team? <laughs> well, if they lose on the road right. to the worst defense in the NFL, what does that say? If they about- win
0: Sunday, yeah. we're going to be like, oh, if they can just beat the Cardinals go to 4-2, and two, this changes <laughs> right? everything.
1: It, it is kind of funny how that works in, in, yeah. as far as a team that's on the verge of going one way or the other. Um, they're 2-2, two and two, but it's more than just the record. It's literally – uh, this team could fall uh, the, the 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 schedule doesn't get any easier you got the Saints then you've got the um, you, you mentioned the Cardinals mm. um, the Cardinals I I'm waiting kind of for them to kind of have a better season it looks like they're not a, a very good team God. this year uh, the Chargers are, are gonna be tough the Giants come that seems like a, a winnable game but who knows right? right so it doesn't get any easier and then you're you know you've got the Cardinals again then you've got the Buccaneers Um and it just doesn't get any yeah. easier. It gets tough. And there so in we'll, the middle. we'll see. Yeah. yeah. So this game, uh, interesting. Um, you're right. They struggle on offense a little bit. Who knows what's going to happen? Andy Dalton looks like he might go. They they look like they're going to have Alvin Kamara back. Um, they lack a few weapons on offense. Although uh, Chris Olave, their their first round draft pick this year, is their stud now at wide receiver. Yeah. Uh, so they're missing Thomas a little bit less um and then you know they've got some some opportunities at at the tight end position on defense i think they're solid they're not as great as they have been in the past but they've got a nice uh pass rush there uh on defense and uh last week i think they combined against the vikings for um for 10 pressures and a sack between uh cameron jordan and um the other fellow they've got in there i lost his name um but but they they're a decent defense um, and, and the best defense we've faced since the 49ers. And it'll be interesting to see how consistent they can take Gino's game and take the offense and take Penny's running effort and try to duplicate that against yeah. a, a, a better defense, um, uh, a better defense that's more equipped to, to stop what they're trying to do. You mentioned Lattimore earlier um, at cornerback against one-on-one matchups. Uh, with DK Metcalf, that's going to be a fascinating matchup to watch, and I'm kind of excited about that. I want to see what the, what they can do against a, def, a decent defense. Now, on the, on the defensive side of the ball for the Seahawks, I just want them to slow them down. I want them to slow them down a little bit, maybe force some three and outs. We haven't seen too many of those. There are not yet a, this lot year, oppor- yeah, yeah, a lot of weapons on that
0: side. Yeah, there just aren't a lot of dynamic. There's some weapons. opportunities,
1: but you know the turnovers and special teams. I think is going to be a factor in this game um you will you've seen new orleans this year turn the ball over uh two times in three out of the last four games yeah um you've seen them miss some field goals i think their field goal kickers missed a field goal in each of their four games so this could come down to a one score game as a lot of uh scores do in the nfl and i think for the seahawks to come out on the winning side they're going to need to ha- take advantages of a couple of turnovers if they get them and if they do get them in good field position i Trust the offense to come away with points. I do, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I do believe, though, it comes down to
0: protecting the ball. Here might be an opportunity. So the Saints are just looking it up. Overall, uh, yards yardage given up so far on defense. are 10th in the league overall. Uh, They're number eight against the pass, so good test for Geno Smith. But they're 19th in the league against the run. Yeah. Uh, Seahawks look like they were kind of getting their running game going a little bit against Detroit. We saw Rashad Penny have a breakout game. He ran hard. He ran physical. Um, he's a guy to me, Rashad Penny's interesting because I, I don't think there's any surprise that, that he finished strong last year. Cause what I've noticed from him, whether it's at the beginning of the season or he's coming back from injury is, is he's like a pitcher who gets by on feel like he has to get reps in order for that vision that he has to kind of lock in and get a rhythm and really start to feel the game and let it come to him and feel the flow. And he just didn't seem to have that. He ran hard the first three weeks. He ran very hard. Um, But he just wasn't feeling the hole. He wasn't feeling the cutback lane. He sure looked like that on Sunday. He seemed to get stronger as the game goes along. And I think we might be on the verge of seeing Rashad Penny maybe get back to where he can carry this running game a little bit over the next couple of weeks. And maybe that's the opportunity this week with the saints kind of being in the bottom third of the league against the run.
1: Yeah. I think Tuttle in the middle for them, a defensive tackle is a vulnerable spot for them. I think Jordan and Davenport on the edges, give them great pass rush, but not so much setting the edge and uh, they've got some great linebackers. I think their linebacker crew is one of the best in the NFL. Warner's back there, Pete Werner Davis is back there, and um, they they do a good job filling holes and tackling. Uh, but if you can get to the second level, I think uh, Penny's shown that he's a dynamic guy he can make almost anybody miss. Yeah. And he's a big, physical guy, but a lot bigger than you think he is just by looking at him. But he's almost two hundred and thirty five pounds, and um, but he's just as agile and quick as as he was last year in that great stretch. And 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 that kind of came back. You kind of had flashbacks of last year with yeah. Rashad Penny that's exactly um, in that Lions like that. game. And and I would like to see that again. I think that's the key to this game, really. Uh, you, beyond the turnovers, you got to establish that run. Yeah. Now, I know that's a cliche in the NFL, but you've got to get that run game going because you're giving your defense an opportunity to stay off the field. And that's huge for the Seattle Seahawks this year. And so if you can uh, win the time of possession game, and if you can march the uh, the Seahawks down the field, convert third downs
0: uh, at, at a 50% clip in this game, you've got a real good shot to win. Well, it kind of gets me back to my earlier point that uh, what I love that we're seeing out of this offense is it's so varied that as you think about now what it must be like for an opposing defensive coordinator to put a game plan together. Um, when you're facing Russell Wilson, you could focus on a couple of key areas that you knew the Seahawks were going to attack. And, and if you took those away, made it real hard on our offense. There were lots, lots of three and outs over the last couple of years. Who are you going to prepare for now? You're going to, you're going to, you know, really try to sell out to get after Geno Smith because you think there's an opportunity to put pressure on him. Okay. Well, you're going to have to deal with him dumping it off to the tight ends and the, and the backside of the backfield. And those two rookie tackles haven't been given up a lot of pass pressures. Uh, you're going to load up to try and stop Rashad Penny. Cause you think, Oh, they're getting that game going. They're getting that going again. Now you got to deal with Lockett and Metcalf and, and, uh, Smith having success, pushing the ball down the field to those guys. So it's a, it's a fun time to watch this offense and, um, and, and again, we're just going to kind of, you know, take week by week. And, and hopefully what will happen is the Mariners will just sweep and win today and tomorrow. And then, you know, because it's an 11 o'clock start, if there's a game three Sunday and I don't want to have to flip back and forth and watch both games. I just want to be able to focus. On That's funny. Games. Well, maybe they can
1: pull the Seahawks uh, ahead and, uh, and just get them a win just by virtue of attrition. Uh, uh, right. You know, it's interesting. What do you, what do you think about this game? Like, is it going to be a high scoring affair? Like we saw against the lions. Are you thinking about a schlog here where it's a low scoring game? One score depends on who's got the ball at the end.
0: I think it's going to be more like that. I, I think it's going to be more of maybe a, you know, like a, like a 21 to 17 game, or, you know, 19 yeah. to, to 14, something like that. It's, it's, Saints um,
1: have been, Saints have been struggling to score. Yeah. The Seahawks have. have really been scoring some points, you know, 27, 28 points a game or whatever. I, I kind of see it that way. Yeah. But it's, it's tough. It's hard to predict against the Seahawks. I just feel like the Seahawks are going to go back and forth this year, just going to kind of be this team that's great one week and, now they're there'll so there will be some clunkers. yeah. because uh, yeah. they're just and, so and it's in. it's so easy to get excited about that Lions thing because it's so much offense, 550 yards of total offense. Yeah. Uh I I imagine we'll come back down to earth. It'll be closer to 300-350 yards of offense for the Seahawks. Um but it really depends on if the Seahawks are able to punch the ball in for touchdowns rather than settling for field goals and I I'm thinking it's going to be in that 23, 20 range, and it, it will come down to kind of what we do at the end.
0: It's just like every week's going to be this year. I just can't wait. I, I can't wait to see what happens. It's like a it's like a giant experiment, and I just want to see what happens each week. Which young players step up, and see some growth. We're going to see some setbacks. Um, I look forward to it. I always look forward to talking to you, Bill Alfstad, co-host of the Seahawks. Playbook podcast. You can find that on all the big podcast podcast platforms. You can also follow, um, you can follow Bill on Twitter at Northwest Seahawk. And I noticed this today. It speaks to how long you and I have been on Twitter that we are able to have Twitter handles like Seahawks forever and Northwest Seahawk. Like we
1: we got in on the ground (laughs) floor.
0: That's it's, funny. <laughs> well,
1: like, thanks for having me on. I, absolutely. I truly appreciate it. It's always great to talk to you. You know, we've mentioned this before. You mentioned it at the top. We could talk for three hours about Seahawks and just sit at a bar, have a few beers and literally not run out of things to talk about. So it's always great to be on. I appreciate the opportunity. I really do.
0: Well, we will do that when I come down for spring training uh, this spring to watch the um I don't want to get crazy and say the world series champion Mariners, but the, the soon to be world series champion Mariners. Cause I think as we share a beer and talk about spring training next year, we'll that would be, be, fantastic. We'll be we'll be looking at a legitimate contender uh, nice. again. Good to have you on. Thanks for your thoughts, Bill. And, uh, and we'll talk soon. We'll catch up again later this year until then. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Go Hawks.